The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome into the Hoist of Colors podcast. This is Stephen Igo, publisher of HoistofColors.net, host of this podcast as always. It's been a long time, uh, several weeks, in fact, since we last had our previous episode, and just want to give you guys some background on that. No, I have not just been sitting there twiddling my thumbs as time has gone by. Uh, the wife and I actually put our house on the market in uh, earlier this summer it sold quickly and so we've been trying to move out and buy a new house at the same time uh still in town not moving outside of town but we uh closed on our house that we sold this past week and then we're moving into our new home hopefully if everything goes as planned in mid-august we're still going to be a little busy with that but obviously we got preseason camp coming up and the biggest thing was just getting out of the house and we've we had a lot going on had some vacation in there and so kind of in between houses right now, life is a little bit uh, insane, but uh, but it's all good. All good. We are uh, now settled in and we can get the podcast back going. And, you know, we're in, we're in late July, entering late July, and not a ton going on as far as games, obviously, but as always, plenty to talk about. Roster changes, personnel moves, season previews, so... You know, we're going to have some guests coming up next week on the podcast. Uh, got a few guys lined up for that. We'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Of course, we'll be starting preseason camp coverage soon enough. Right now, a lot of the focus is on the upcoming season. Just 41 days until the Pirates open their season against NC State on September 3rd. So, uh, lots to look forward to in between now and then. And today's show, we're really just going to answer a lot of you guys' questions, as I'm looking on Twitter right now, 24 questions as I sent out a text on Twitter on Friday to ask for any questions. So we got baseball to discuss, we got basketball, we got football. So we're going to cover all three major sports. We're going to cover recruiting as well. And so we're just going to let the questions kind of carry the show uh, for this one. And uh, big news dropping over the last 24 hours, C.J. Mayhew, East Carolina left-handed pitcher, 
pretty pretty unexpectedly going going professional. He is passing up his final two years of eligibility. You know, talking with Cliff Goblin in our postseason podcast, it sounded like CJ, along with Garrett Saylor, Carter Spivey, had basically agreed to come back, but for whatever reason, things changed. He didn't get drafted, but he decided to, dra- to sign an undrafted free agent contract, which took me by surprise. Uh, I'm not going to lie, and I think it took a lot of people by surprise, but obviously we wish the best to CJ. Three years in the ECU uniform, pitched extremely well. He would have been probably your Friday night guy next year, so it's a definite blow along with the loss of Zach Agno. So we knew he had a potential to go. Uh, he did. This, he decided to sign for just over $160,000 with the Colorado Rockies after his 10th round selection. So ECU going to have some significant uh, pieces to fill for the baseball team, and, and that's a common theme. We'll get into that. We have some questions about uh, replacing those guys going forward. So let's dive into it. Let's get into some of these questions so this podcast does not last forever. Christian Bateman, he's got a couple. Uh, number one, he says, any chance we get Michael Schwartz on for another podcast soon? Christian asked this question, I think, just about every time I ask for feedback on the podcast on Twitter. Um, I think closer to the basketball season, you know, we've got John Gilbert lined up for a podcast interview this coming week on Tuesday, I believe. And so we'll have uh, the AD, Eddie's Carolina on. Of course, we'll have a lot of football talk. We've got some other people lined up as well. Um, but uh, I think as we get closer to basketball season, early November, the Pirates are set to open their season on November 8th against Mercer. And so we will talk about that. Uh, talk more basketball as we get closer to that. I've been out to a workout. I had a VIP report up a couple weeks ago near the start of July, just kind of what I saw from that one workout and, you know, some promising things. But obviously going to have a brand-new team for the most part. And, uh, so we'll have Coach Schwartz on, and we'll have basketball talk as we get closer to that season. Christian also asked potential top three weekend starters for next season now that C.J. Mayhew has decided to move on. Well, when I talked to Cliff Goblin for the postseason interview, he basically said he wanted his top three starters if everything went as planned as C.J. Mayhew, Carter Spivey, and Garrett Saylor. And, unfortunately, with with Mayhew moving on, that kind of throws a wrench into those plans. You know, I will say this. I'm not too concerned about where the rotation sits at this point in time or, or really where the pitching staff sits. You know, if I have a greater concern, it's about shortstop and it's about center field and it's about catcher. You know, you have to be great up the middle as a baseball team to be a great team. And, and honestly, I think ECU's got enough talent on the mound to figure it out, even without Mayhew, kind of like this past year. Nothing really went as planned, and they still were above average on the mound. Um, led the league in ERA, strikeouts, all that sort of stuff. So they really just need some starting pitching continuity. Now, I think with the way Spivey pitched the latter half of last year, he showed he could start a game against Coastal Carolina. Uh, in in the Greenville Regional Championship. I I think he will go into a starter's role, so I think he'll be one. You know, Saylor's kind of a guy where they have to decide what exactly they're going to do with him. Uh, He's pitched more comfortable in relief in the past, but he's got got such good stuff, he should be a starter if everything clicks in that, that point of view. So I don't know if both those guys will be starters, but I think you get at least one of them as a starter. I think Josh Groves, to me... 
I think he's going to be a starter. I mean, I, I think he'll get one more shot at the weekend rotation. I mean, he's going to go in the draft next year if he's healthy because he's got that much upside. And I think he'll open next year in the rotation because, you know, when he's good, and he really pitched well down the stretch last season, I, I think if he can get a little bit more finer command of his secondary stuff, you know, there's times it just looks dominant, and then there's times it's kind of flat. And if he can kind of control that, confine that a little bit, refine that a little bit, I think he's going to be, you know, a bona fide Friday night guy. So I'll go Spivey. I'll also go Groves. You know, Sailor, like I mentioned earlier, he's a candidate. And then you got several young guys. You know, the interesting thing about this summer is Trey Savage has kind of transitioned into a starter's role, was at least trying that out this summer. He's handled that well, even though he profiles more as a reliever with kind of a fastball-curveball combo. If he can develop a third pitch, he could be a starter. Uh, You've also got Merritt Beaker, a lefty, who showed some starting potential late last year. And then there are just several other guys. You know, Danny Beal, who I think is more of a reliever. He does have a lot of pitches, but, you know, he's got some starting experience. you got two young guys coming in in, uh, in Michael Ferret and Zachary Root, who did not get drafted, who had the chance to go a pro. Are they going to be ready to compete for a starter's role? Um, so you got a couple guys coming back from injury who could play a role. They also added a transfer from VMI, Tyler Bratt who's pitched in relief and as a starter at VMI, and he's got a big arm. So, um, you know, Jordan Little has had a phenomenal offseason. You know, I'm giving you a lot of names here, and there are so many guys last year that didn't really pitch a lot who have upside. And so, you know, I say for certain you go into the season with two of the three in terms of Spivey, Gross, and Sailor as your starting rotation. Maybe you save one of those guys for some experience on the back end, but – They've got a ton of options, and I think if they stay healthy, they'll be fine on the mound. It's just a matter of how it all kind of breaks breaks down. So I'm not too worried about how it lines up, even with the loss of C.J. Mayhew. All right, Bill Price, he says, I know it's a long shot, but any chance uh, Carson Wisenhunt comes back, what is his update? Best guess percentage chance he doesn't get his number and comes back. Any chance to get someone from the NIL? pack on a future podcast at some point to elaborate on the goals how how the money will be used progress etc so bill is is essentially asking here is there any chance carson wisenhunt comes back and to my knowledge at this time i would be still surprised now i do know he will be welcome back if if he decides to come back and if, if the san francisco giants do not meet his number but as of as of right now, Sunday afternoon at 2.30, there's nothing as far as an announcement that Carson Wisenhunt has officially signed. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. I do expect him to eventually sign. I will say, though, that his agent is Scott Boris. And when your agent Scott Boris, he's going to nickel and dime the team for every penny he can get. And so the Giants are going to have to meet his – they're going to have to meet his number. Otherwise – he's going to want to come back or Boris is going to want him to come back. And, you know, he can make a lot of money as a 66 overall pick if the Giants meet his number, or he could come back, dominate, and end up having really the type of year that where he could propel himself into a top 10 pick, and then you're getting that much more guaranteed money. So there is something to come back for uh, if, if he doesn't get what he wants this cycle. But I do – I still would be surprised. I don't think ECU is counting on his return – 
I would say the the percentage of a Carson Wizen Hunt return five to ten percent, and I have not talked to anybody since he got drafted. So we'll see if the Giants end up meeting that number, Bill. As far as you know, the NIL stuff, the Boneyard or Team Boneyard, um, you know, I can try to either a get more information on it. You know, we've had a significant discussion about it on Hoist of Colors, the message boards, but. Um, I'll tr- try to get more information about it, and if I need to or, or can to get somebody from the actual NIL who's running it, who's operating it, if they're willing to come on and speak about it, I will do that. But, you know, there's no guarantee that person may want to stay anonymous or maybe not go into it on the record as much. All right, John Moody says, any concerns with BYU backing out of their return trip? Notice their series with NC State was canceled to make room for the Big 12 schedule. Somebody said that NC State was actually the team that canceled that, so I don't know exactly how that went down. But, John, I do know that they have been canceling a lot of series due to the move to the Big 12. Of course, going from independent to Big 12, they had several non-conference series that had to be altered. Talking with John Gilbert in the past, I do know the 2024 return trip to Greenville is going to be moved to 2025, or at least that was the plan. Now, when I have John on the podcast on Tuesday, then I will ask him for an update on that as well as other non-conference scheduling notes. Um, so we'll get the answer from the horse's mouth at that time. Preston says, what ways can ECU grow its athletic department budget to get to the higher range that Mike Houston and John Gilbert recently referenced beyond changes to state laws that may not occur? Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's a great question. I think, you know, obviously it starts and ends with ticket sales, I mean, and ticket revenue. When ECU was at its peak in terms of ticket revenue, I mean, the athletic department was generating money at an all-time high for the most part. They just didn't have the TV deal that they have now. They were in USA then, or the early stages of the American. Now the TV deal is at a decent number and the ticket revenue has gone down so and it's kind of a catch-22 because you get more tv revenue because the games are more accessible on tv and therefore less people feel like they have to go to the games to watch it whereas back in conference usa when they were selling 20 plus thousand season tickets you didn't have such notoriety or you know so many games on tv or that were accessible on tv so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword there um obviously if you're if you're back to winning in football consistently, you know, nine, eight, nine, ten win seasons, then I think you're going to have more ticket revenue. So it starts with ticket revenue and it starts with winning in football. But beyond that, you know, they just got to continue to, to find money uh, somewhere. And a lot of that has started on the, the campaign trail with donors. And that's something that will have to continue over time. You know, I, I do think there has been an increase in significant spending from the major donors over the last year or so at least in you know some of the circles that i've that i've talked with um it just feels like there's more significant giving you know to this pirates unite campaign or to nil and people are willing to give a lot of that is due to ecu finally coming off a winning season of football you have momentum you got the baseball success you got a new hire in basketball so people are legitimately excited about east carolina athletics And now there's some concern about where it sits in the landscape of college athletics because of all the conference realignment. With that uncertainty comes the need or the desire for the big donors or the casual donors to try and step up as much as possible to help support the athletics program. So 
Uh, I think you're seeing that. I think that will continue. That will continue to be the message. And, again, we'll talk to John Gilbert about this even more when he joins us on the podcast. But it's an excellent question and it's something that we hope to have an answer for uh, when we talk to John or at least some more clarity there. All right, Josh in North Carolina, he says, why have you been so lazy? I know he's just giving me a hard time here. Love you, Josh. Um, yeah, I mean, it's been, a, it's been a time, man. I tell you what, nothing is much worse than moving out of a house. Um, it just, I, I think when we finish moving out, and by the way, I don't know how we have so much crap accumulated at the age of 30, but somehow we do. Um, it's just never ending. So... I don't know. I just really don't want to do that again. Not looking forward to moving in, but I feel like it'll be at least somewhat easier than getting everything out because we can go at our own pace. All right, Judge uh, Smells, he says, can ECU contend for a title in the American this year in football? You know, yeah, I think they can. I think certainly they can contend for one. Are they going to win it? I certainly would not put my money on it from the standpoint that I think Houston is the most complete team in the league, and they have the easiest schedule. They don't have to play Cincinnati, and they don't have to play UCF. They have a pretty clear path to the conference championship if they are as good as everyone thinks they will be. Um, Cincinnati, a lot of uncertainty with all their losses, and they have significant losses, but ECU's got to go to Cincinnati in November for a Friday night game. That'll be tough, and they've recruited at a level that nobody else in the conference has. So they're going to be really good, even if they have an experience. They probably won't be as good as last year, but they still are easily a conference contender. And then you got UCF. You've got SMU. You've got Memphis. Kind of in that next realm with ECU. And, you know, a lot of the pundits have UCF ahead of ECU, SMU, Memphis. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think that they probably have more talent but I'm not sold on Gus Malzahn as this elite coach. I think he's a great recruiter. I think he's a good talker. I think his teams can be outcoached. I feel like ECU outcoached them for the most part in, in Orlando last year. They just didn't execute on some key plays. And so, you know, I, I like ECU's chances with UCF coming here this year. The problem is the Pirates have to take on you know, once they get through the early part of their schedule in the conference, which is not going to be easy, by the way, at USF, at Tulane, those are tough games. But then you go, you know, stretch. I don't have the exact order in front of me, but, you know, Memphis, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, and Houston, I believe, is the order of the games or something like that. I mean, that is a brutal stretch. And really, you're probably going to have to go 3-1 and one in that stretch to be in a position to make the conference championship game. So you're going to have to go 3-1, and one, at least against the conference teams. You're going to have to go 3-1 and one against Memphis, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. Now you have three of those games at home, which makes it doable, but really not much margin for error. Because like I said, Houston, I think they got a pretty easy path. Cincinnati's going to be good, and I think UCF's going to be better in year two under Gus Malzahn. We'll see how much better. But I think there's a there's a path. ECU's got to have consistent quarterback play. Um, you know, from day one, they got to have a healthy and consistent offensive line. They've got to rush the passer better on defense. They have to cover as well as they did last year without Jaquan McMillan. Uh, so there's just a lot of things that have to go right, and they can go right. But, 
you know, there's a reason the odds makers have the other teams ahead of ECU. So there's a chance. I would say it's an outside chance ECU wins the conference championship this year, but it is a possibility, unlike past years. All right, our next question comes from Preston. He says, any chances the Pac-12 and Big 12 expansion could result in only the Mountain West Conference team like San Diego State or Mountain West Conference California schools slash Boise could result in Colorado State and Air Force reconsidering the American, and is that helpful to the AAC to have them now that we are at 14? Well, that's a, a loaded question. I get where you're coming from, Preston. And, you know, I don't know. I just feel like Boise and San Diego State and those type of teams just don't – they aren't sold on the American. And – you know, what extra value does it really bring them to join the American? Yeah, they get extra TV money, somewhat significantly upgraded. But how much longer is the American going to be at that spot in the TV pecking order? You know, I've said I think the Sun Belt will end up passing the American as it's currently constructed with the losses of UCF, Cincinnati, Houston. You know, I'm not sold on UTSA. I actually like UTSA, but I'm not sold on Rice and North Texas and FAU becoming the same caliber of schools that are leaving the American now. I'm sure that's what the American is hoping for, but it's easier said than done. Just bringing in these football market teams or these big market teams that really don't have much of a football fan base. So, to me, you know, I just don't know how the American is going to work out long term. Um, I like the way the Sun Belt is going. More regionalized, better football cultures. I think it's going to pay off in the long run. If I'm the Mountain West teams, you know, if you can't get into the Pac-12 or the Big 12, is it really worth it? You know, you're going to have extra travel in the American, which costs more money and it therefore negates the the advantage of the, the the monetary advantage of going to the American. So that's why Boise has nixed it in the past, despite consideration. And you know, for me. I do think the American, if you're, if you're the American, you definitely add value. If you can take away from another quote-unquote group of five contender in the Mountain West, pull their best teams, the Americans are already spread out enough. If you can add Boise or in Colorado State or San Diego State and Boise, I would definitely do it if I'm Mike Oresco. If you're ECU, do you love it? No, due to the more travel, but you could increase your TV revenue uh, with some, some more prominent football programs. I would much rather have a Boise State and a San Diego State over Rice and North Texas or in addition to those schools. Yeah, 16 teams is a lot, but at least you have more of a true east-west then at that point too as you continue to add. But yeah, you know, a lot of people have asked, are you going to do a conference expansion podcast? Maybe in time, but I honestly, uh, you know, there's just so much that goes into every little scenario and really a lot of it at the end of the day is just fluff because all of it depends on what happens at the highest level, and then that determines what happens down the ladder. And so we're all waiting for the next shoe to drop from the ACC. When is the ACC going to get picked off? Is the SEC going to add anybody else? When is the Big Ten going to move again? So it's just we're waiting on that, and anything else beyond that is just speculation, long-term speculation at this point, because we don't know what's going to happen until those first moves happen. So maybe at some point we will have that type of podcast but not right now uh judge is it back for another question he says what are our odds of beating nc state i think phil still said it best 
you know, I give ECU a shot anytime it's at home. As an underdog, we've seen it play out again and again, whether it's North Carolina, NC State, whoever. The crowd will be amped. I don't know if it'll be a sellout or not, but the crowd will be excited. ECU plays so much better with a chip on its shoulder historically. They will have a chip on its shoulder in that game. I know Coach Houston and his coaching staff will be motivated for that game. Their first ever game as ECU's coaches was at NC State. Did not go well. I think they'll have this one circled. They've had this one circled since then. Does that mean ECU is going to win? I don't know. You know, NC State, pound for pound, is the more talented team across the board. They're the more complete team. You know, Coach Houston's in his fourth year. Dave Dorn's in his, what, eighth or ninth year. He's had two full recruiting cycles. They've won consistently. They're in the ACC. So, now all that said, I think ECU's got a fair shot. I would say, I think the line... You know, I predicted, I think, at six or seven. The fact that it opened to eight and it's gone to ten and a half, I would feel comfortable laying money on ECU, especially at ten and a half. I think this is a game that comes down to the fourth quarter, and at that point it just comes down to who makes the plays in crunch time. And, I, you know, I'm not going to bet against ECU at home. I give them a 35 to 40% chance to win the game, if not higher. But I am, you know, a little bit wearing the purple shades. Uh, admittedly. All right, Will says, do you think that we'll see Cliff Goblin turn to the portal this year for help at shortstop? So with the loss of Zach Agnos, that is a significant loss, and it does make you wonder what is going to happen there because not only did you lose Zach Agnos, you also lost Ryder Giles as Giles decided to move on from the program at season's end. And I know that in the, the season-ending conversation between you know Ryder and Coach Goblin, it was basically said, hey, we don't know what Zach Agnos is going to do. So you can come back and be our shortstop next year. But Ryder decided to move on. He wanted a fresh start. And I don't necessarily blame him for that. But now you have almost a double hole. Um, and as far as the portal, I, I don't know at this point in time. Um, you know, it just seems from talking to sources that Cliff Goblin is not a huge fan of the portal. But you've got a legitimate question mark there. The only guy returning really who can play that position is Joey Barini. Yeah, he's a switch hitter, and I think while he's been a very productive player off the bench, I don't know if he's going to be an all-conference caliber shortstop like Agnos was. So, you know, you have to make that decision if you're the coaching staff. Do we have good enough talent either, A, on the roster right now or incoming that we can have the type of team we need to have? Uh that's just something they're going to have to decide. And if they don't feel like the incoming freshman or Barini or whoever can play there is good enough, then I think you'll see them go to the portal and try and find the exact right fit. But, you know, they have seen these high school guys now. They've been in workouts. The freshman class has. You know, one thing to note, Parker Bird was going to be a guy that could potentially go into that mix. Uh, from my understanding, he was involved in a freak off-the-field accident and has pretty severe injuries, so I don't think he's going to be a candidate, at least in the short term, to, to compete in that role. So you got to look at the other freshmen that are incoming now. Uh, Connor Rasmussen, I believe is how you pronounce his name, coming in as a uh, kind of a utility infielder, shortstop. And then also you have Nathan Crisman from, or Chrisman from China Grove. So you got some candidates coming in, and you got Barini, who we know Coach Goblin really uh, loves his style of play. So that's just going to be an open competition. If they feel like they need to add somebody, they will, but I don't think it's a guarantee. 
All right, next question comes from the Sports for Life Twitter account. He says, state of ECU baseball after the draft, who's up to fill positions, et cetera. Well, we, we talked about shortstop there. We've hit on the, the rotation. You know, center field's the other big spot with Bryson Worrell moving on. That's really, you know, center field shortstop catcher are the big ones. You know, Ben Newton didn't get drafted, but he's moving on due to the end of his eligibility. You know, center field, Luke Nowak has had a great summer. We had a summer baseball report up today. I think he's batting 360. Not a ton of power, similar to Lane Hoover, probably faster and probably maybe a little bit better defensively. He'll be going into his second year in the program. I expect him to be a candidate to fill that role. Riley Johnson is also another guy who can play center, who missed last year with a shoulder injury, played pretty good as a freshman in 2021. So he's a candidate for that center field role. Those are kind of the three guys you're looking at for center field. And then at catcher, you know, Ryan McChrystal's had a phenomenal summer. All-star team in his summer league. He's hitting for power. He's hitting for average. And, you know, really his question mark is, can he make enough improvements defensively to be the full-time catcher going forward? Because his bat can play, and he can really hit. So I think he'll be in the lineup somewhere. It's just a a matter of whether it's going to be at at catcher or DH or another spot. So um, outside of that, I mean, you do have a lot returning. Alec Makarevich can play outfield. He can play third base you know Jacob Starlin will be back at second several of the guys we have mentioned that are coming as infielders could compete there Dixon Williams is another guy from D.H. Conley who probably isn't quite rangy enough to play shortstop but he's got big time power as a left-handed bat and can play second or probably a corner outfield spot um, so you know you, you got a lot of incoming talent in this class so I think they're going to be very deep next year it's just a matter of who can play where and a lot of that will be sorted out in fall camp. Uh, and again, on the mound, I think they're pretty deep. All right, Christian is back with another one. He says, non-conference games we are hearing for basketball. Like I said earlier, uh, Mike Schwartz was at a luncheon of some sort in town. Somebody posted on Hoist of Colors. He said they'll be opening the season against Mercer on November 8th. He also said they have signed a... A, a one-on-one deal, a home-and-away deal, or a home-and-neutral site deal with an SEC school. The neutral site game will be played this season, and then next year they will come to Greenville, according to the poster. From my understanding, I know that Coach Schwartz was working on a series with Georgia, so we could see the Georgia Bulldogs on the schedule this year. I have not confirmed that, but I know that was being worked on earlier this offseason, and that would match up with the SEC school. I uh, also got some other non-conference series they're actually doing the the gulf coast showcase once again of course they did that under joe dooley now they're going back this this spring to florida to play the uh three game uh, multi-team event they've got a game against high points they also play i believe maryland eastern shore um trying to think of any others off the top of my head i think that's about it they're still working on a game but for the most part have that part of the schedule set and so I think it'll be a, a solid non-conference schedule for a first-year coach, but one that still, you know, it's going to take some time to really get it how Coach Schwartz wants it long-term. But we should get that, I believe, in August as far as the non-conference schedule if it uh, continues to fill out. All right, Big Dog Lynn Griffin, he says, when are you going to have 
the big dog on the podcast. Many people are still asking this question. Well, good news, folks. We're going to have, or we're set to have, Glenn Griffin make his Hoist the Colors debut next week on the podcast at some point. Again, I got John Gilbert lined up for his own podcast. And then we'll have Glenn Griffin, who, of course, if you're unfamiliar, he works at Pirate Radio. He does the graphics, the videos, all that sort of stuff. Basically, everything you see on social media comes from his department. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to have kind of an off-the-wall conversation. At least that's the plan with Glenn. Talk about a little bit of everything. And, you know, kind of give you some behind-the-scenes feelings of what it's like to be, you know, covering the team during preseason camp, during the season. You know, yeah, it's a fun job, but it also can be a grind. We'll get into some of that if anybody cares and just kind of share some behind-the-scenes stories of our favorite interviews, that sort of stuff. Uh, during our time covering ECU athletics. All right, on the other side, we'll dive into more questions. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Hip-hop takes the stand in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rap lyrics are playing an increasingly prominent role in criminal cases. Every song, every lyric, every video that you've ever been involved with, they're going to use against you. Follow rap artist Kemba as he explores the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system. This artistic expression is a confession. I'm ready. Roll the tape. Watch the eye-opening new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, welcome back to the Hoist of Colors podcast. I am Stephen Igo. We're rolling right along on this weekend edition of the return of the HTC podcast. And we are continuing with your questions on Twitter. Jake wants to know any recruiting updates on Jonathan Klein. Where do you think we stand with him? So if you cover recruiting, you know that Jonathan Klein, who's from Cartersville, Georgia, officially visited in mid-June. ECU has basically gotten basically Almost all the kids that officially visited, Traylon Mitchell went to Virginia Tech from Southern Nash, and then Aiden Duncanson out of Georgia also has not committed, but has told me that East Carolina is his current leader in his recruitment. So those are the two guys, along with Jonathan Klein, so three guys that ECU has not landed commitments from. They have landed nine out of ten from one official visit weekend, and then they landed three out of five from the other official visit weekend. So that's uh, pretty good. 12 out of 13, or 12 out of 13 of their commitments have officially visited. Cameron Durant from South Carolina, he just came up for a camp, did his return visit, and so he committed as well. And so it's been a been a good stretch, as we covered on a previous podcast, but Jonathan Klein's one of the top remaining targets, three-star out of Cartersville. He said on Instagram... I believe either today or yesterday that he is planning to announce a top six soon. I would be stunned if ECU didn't make that. Uh, Miami and Memphis will probably be included in there too. He has taken official visits to all three. 
I don't think he's a take right now for Miami. Miami has gotten some major offensive line commitments, you know, four- and five-star kids. It feels like he's a backup plan for the Hurricanes. And, you know, it feels like Klein is going to wait his recruitment out a little bit more to see what else is out there. I feel pretty good about ECU beating out Memphis. So if he's not a take for Miami, I think he's probably, you know, probably got ECU as one of his top options, if not the top option right now. But, you know, covering this recruiting stuff long enough, if a guy has ECU as his top option and then he completes the summer without making a commitment, you know, that tells to me that, okay, yeah, he sees ECU as a fine place to go to school, but is he going to pick them, you know, if he gets a bigger offer down the line? Probably not. You know, if a kid's sold on a school 100%, he's going to commit when when he visits or shortly after he visits. For him not to commit at this point, I think he's still waiting for some bigger stuff. Again, hopefully at some point, if you're ECU, he makes that decision, shuts down his recruitment, and commits to East Carolina. But right now, I just get the feeling he's waiting, and I don't know if it's going to end with an East Carolina commitment. The one thing that is in ECU's favor is they can say, hey, we only got one spot left for an offensive lineman to either take it or we're moving on, and they can go on to the next guy on their board, who I'm sure is plenty talented as well. But he is the type of guy you want to save a spot for just because he is that good, and it would be a major addition on the offensive line. All right, uh, Charlie Heritage says, is this finally the year that Lucas Thompson enrolls in school? Man, that is a... uh, I feel like I get asked this question at least once a year as a joke. And if you don't, if you're younger and you didn't follow recruiting during the Ruff McNeil era, you probably don't know who Lucas Thompson is. He was a four-star recruit out of Florida. He picked ECU on the famous ESPN Under Armour game. You know, he's a top, what, 300 recruit nationally, if not bigger. And so when he picked ECU, it was such a big deal because he did it on national TV. And then he never made the grades, never enrolled in school, despite about five or six attempts at prep schools. And, yeah, the ghost of Lucas Thompson lives on. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think he will be enrolling this semester, Charlie. So uh, the sad thing is he probably would have completed his eligibility like six years ago at this point if he would have actually got to school on time. But he probably never went to college. Um, So tough, tough stuff there. All right. Ben Gatewood wants to know any update on who replaces Charlotte on the non-conference schedule in football in 2024 and 2025. Uh, Good question, Ben. Again, I'll ask John Gilbert the latest on a non-conference scheduling standpoint when we meet this week for the podcast. So in 2024, on the docket at Charlotte, to open the season at Old Dominion and then Appalachian State. Now, BYU is currently scheduled for that year, but like we talked about earlier, that looks like it'll be moved to 2025. And so you've got two openings there with Charlotte coming to the American, which makes them no longer a non-conference game, and then also BYU being moved to the following year. So you're going to have to probably add an FCS game there on short notice. And then that will give you two home games, and then you try and schedule another team in that BYU slot. Uh, we'll see. Again, we'll get the latest from John Gilbert when we talk later this week. And then 2025 at NC State at Charlotte – or excuse me, at NC State at Marshall. Charlotte was scheduled to be a home non-conference game. Of course, that won't be happening 
then BYU will assume we assume will be in 2025 as a home game and you still need another home non-conference game in 2025 and we'll see what that ends up being again could be another FCS game if ECU continues with that scheduling philosophy of getting one FCS game a year and with BYU as a home non-conference opponent that is a pretty marquee game last time they played in Greenville there were a lot of BYU fans and so uh, even though it's not maybe a huge draw locally, I think nationally any any BYU's got fans across the state, and so a lot of those fans in the area will travel to the game. So that's significant. But again, we'll get the latest from John Gilbert when we talk later this week. Um, Destry Sparks wants to know: ECU has been on a roll with early commitments, especially from Georgia. How do you think this class stacks up so far compared to prior Mike Houston classes? Do you like the Georgia focus with so many already committed? What do you think the priority will be on for the remainder of the class? Yeah, I love the Georgia focus. I think Georgia. You know, I talked about this on an earlier podcast. I think Georgia is probably the fourth most talented state nationally behind Florida, California, uh, and Texas in terms of the the most talented high school talent. And so if you can get half, a quarter, a third of your class from Georgia, if you're East Carolina, you do it. I mean, it's just, you know, a second-tier kid in Georgia is going to be better than a second-tier kid in North Carolina based on my experience covering this. So I'm all for it. Now, it's going to be tough to hold on to some of these guys, and that's fine. That means you're recruiting – the type of talent you need to recruit. I think East Carolina's done a good job of finding some guys who, you know, could easily play in some of the bigger quote unquote conferences in the country. And I think ECU's gonna have to fight to hold on to them and that's fine. That's a good thing. Um as far as you know what's led to this, I've talked about it before, but I think Blake Harrell, Chris Foster have made a big impact with their connections in Georgia. And as far as the the big focuses going forward for the 2023 class I think number one is quarterback ECU's got to add a quarterback in this class at some point with Holt Naylor's moving on uh, after this year and then then you would only have three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster I think if you can add a dynamic running back you do that uh, they still need another defensive back and if you can add another offensive lineman from a quality standpoint more so than quantity. I think they're getting to the point where they have quantity. They need the best offensive lineman available. I think those are the three main additions needed along with a potentially strong running back if you can find one. So those are kind of your main needs right now. And receiver, you know, I think they could add one more receiver. Again, has to be a difference-making talent. But that's what you're looking at right now for the 2023 class. All right, Zach Winston, he says, what is ECU's football's what is ECU football's floor and ceiling for this year? So, I think your floor, I think this is going to be a good football team. So, your floor, I think your floor is, is six wins. You know, maybe four or five if just like every position gets riddled with injuries. But realistically, your realistic floor is six wins. You know, I think your ceiling is ten wins and a conference championship appearance and you know whether you win the conference championship who knows but um i think you know a lot would have to go wrong for them to only win six games i do think this is a challenging schedule 
therefore you don't really have any guaranteed wins. You know, of course you're going to count Campbell. A lot of people are going to count Old Dominion, but that's a tricky game in week two. Navy is Navy. And then your two most winnable conference games on paper outside of Temple to close the year, which is also on the road, by the way, are at USF and at Tulane, back-to-back. So, you know, I think there's a path to nine or ten wins, but you're going to have to win all the games you're favored in, which is never easy. Um, It's college sports, it's college athletics, for the same reasons that we expect ECU to have a shot to beat NC State as the underdog. Tulane has the same reason to beat ECU as an underdog or South Florida, etc. So, um, but still, I just think, I just can't see this team winning less than six games unless a lot happens on the injury front or a lot of guys underperform. I think the defense is going to be really good and I think it's going to keep them in a lot of games. I think the offense, I look at it and I, you know, if the offensive line stays healthy and has the type of year they can have, I just don't really see a weakness with this offense. You have, you have dynamic running backs. You've got dynamic tight ends. You've got good receivers. You've actually got depth in an offensive line, and you've got experience at quarterback. I mean, there's really no excuse the offense shouldn't be good if healthy. Defensively, you do lose Jaquan McMillan. You lose some experience at linebacker, but I think they're as old and as talented as they've been up front in a long time. I like a lot of the new secondary guys that are stepping in or or have been around who are going to step into starting roles. So, you know, if if you can – the thing I do like about this schedule is a lot of your tougher games are at home. Of course, you're playing seven home games, which helps. But NC State, you get them at home. UCF, you get them at home. Memphis, you get them at home. Houston, you get them at home. Those are all pivotal swing games. A lot of the games you're going to be favored in – are on the road outside of BYU and outside of Cincinnati. Um, you know, so so I think the schedule sets up well, even though it is extremely tough. I think, you know, that stretch we talked about earlier is going to be extremely pivotal. But if you can get off to a good start, let's say you beat NC State, you know, you could be looking at a team that's 6-0. I'm not going to say easily, but it's a possibility. If you beat NC State, then you have Old Dominion, you have Campbell, You've got Navy, you got South Florida, and you got Tulane. I mean, you could be looking at a team that's 6-0 and and could be ranked in the top 25. Um, and I'm getting way ahead of ourselves here. I mean, the ECU could go out and lose 30 to nothing in NC State, which, again, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's a possibility as well. So the ceiling to me is 10 wins. Uh, the floor is 6 wins, and I think a lot would have to go wrong to uh, to get there. But as we know, guys, it's sports – players underperform they get injured or they stay you know or they overperform you know there's going to be a facet of this team that we expect to be really good that probably isn't going to be that good and there'll be a facet or a player on this team that we don't expect anything from that will surprise us all I mean I've just I'm pretty young still I guess 30 I guess I'm getting old but I've covered this long enough to know that I enjoy the preseason I enjoy all the hype but basically everything we say is irrelevant the moment the football is kicked off in the season opener. And it's just all about what happens on the field. So we'll see September 3rd. All right, Brian North, WCTI, if tweeting clip is being verbally abused by Internet bullies, will you defend him? Will you throw hands for him? Clip responds, he doesn't give a shit about me or my feelings. Well, Clip, 
you know that that is untrue, man. I consider you a friend. I consider you a, um, I, I consider you a great friend, Clip. I don't know why you would say that. So I would definitely throw hands for you. And I would definitely defend you if you actually cared. But I know Clip's personality. He actually probably eats this stuff up and thinks it's hilarious and enjoys it. Because Clip's the type of guy who doesn't take much stuff serious at all. Um, and Captain Crunch, you know, he's a subscriber on Hoist of Colors. And he's a passionate ECU fan. But the guy has some of the dumbest takes and some of the dumbest posts that I've seen. And sometimes he makes really good points. But then he'll just come out of nowhere with just like these crazy, uh, crazy takes. So, uh, I, you know, I love the guy's passion. But, man, you can't be calling people just fat and whatever on the internet uh it's, it's just you know you got to be pretty small-minded to do that stuff and, and to talk crap about people that you don't even know so but i guess when you're posting behind a handle that's named captain captain crunch um that kind of speaks for itself uh by the way i do like captain crunch cereal and um that's about it all right <laughs> pirate treasure nc He's got a couple questions here to wrap us up. Will there be a new entrance video planned for the debut of the new video board? A new music for the sound system? Yeah, there will be new. Um, there will be a new entrance video. I don't know if Port City Films will be doing it once again. They've been doing it the last few years, and they do a great job. So I hope they're back. But I do know it'll be a new video. Uh, I assume it'll be them again. New music? Yeah, I mean they update the music every year. There will be a new sound system. Uh, I don't. I'm kind of getting tired of the living on a prayer thing, so I'm interested to see what they do with that. Like, is anybody else getting tired of that? Let me know. I feel like I'm getting kind of bored with that. Like, I feel like it was cool like five years ago, but maybe it's just I don't know. Maybe it's just a tradition now. Um, any special video content, Pirate Treasure asks, being looked at to run on the ribbon boards or coordinated with the scoreboard? I'm sure there will be a lot of advertising to pay the new bills. I believe Playfly Sports paid a role in getting those videos done and the, the new ribbon boards, which will be going on both sides of the stadium, which is you know sorely needed. But um, most of that stuff is just ads and in-game stats or whatever, in-game scores. So I don't think you'll see anything crazy. Um, but as far as special video content, you know that's a question that I'll have to ask the new head of marketing when they find a replacement for Eric Ward. I believe that search is ongoing, so um, and we'll see what happens there. That's something else I can ask John Gilbert about when we talk on our uh, podcast coming up. Pirate Treasure also wants to know, what does it take to be Pirate Sports social media darling asking for a friend? So Pirate Treasure NC, longtime uh, poster, ECU Sports, message boards and you probably recognize his name if you've been around uh on the internet passionate sports fan he's also been a moderator with us for a long time and he actually does photography for our site on hoist of colors does a great job taking a lot of good photos so if you see him on the sidelines be sure to let him know you appreciate his work as far as what it takes to be a, a social media darling um outside of having an attractive body and posting naked images of yourself uh you gotta be you gotta be funny or you gotta deliver great info and i don't think the body images are gonna work for you walter so you're gonna have to come up with some uh some good 
some quality posts either with statistics or with good content that make people laugh. So you're going to have to deliver those. Or since you're a photographer, you, you can just have epic photos, period. So I would say your best chance, Walter, is to go the photo route. Share some of your in-game photos, your best stuff on social media that we share all the time on the site. But now it's going to be getting hits from a wider audience. The more you share that, the more it will be retweeted, the more it will get your name out there. And I think eventually you could become that social media darling. As I look at it now, you've got 36 followers. That's pretty good, seeing as you just joined like two days ago. So keep posting. Keep doing your thing. I'm following you now. You now have 37 followers. And so uh, I think if you share a lot of your good images, like we do on Hoisted Colors, you'll get there uh, shortly enough. All right, that will do it, I believe. Yes, I'm checking now. We had... 20 we had 27 replies i believe to my tweet asking for questions we had 24 replies and i believe i got to all of them just scrolling here real quick to make sure yep i think we're good so that'll do it for the hoisted colors podcast we went about 50 minutes and again just wanted to get back up here and talk again life's been a little crazy i don't have my normal equipment with me right now so if it doesn't sound quite as good as normal um that's why I'm using my audio recorder instead of my mic and set up at my computer because basically in between houses right now and we'll have that set up in mid-August but until then I'll be using my recorder we'll talk to John Gilbert I'll be recording Glenn Griffin hopefully this week through uh, Zoom and so we'll keep finding ways to be bringing you guys content of course we've been having written content up on hoistacolors.net if you're not a subscriber to hoistacolors.net stay tuned to that uh to our site for a special promotion entering preseason camp august 3rd the pirates start camp over near dowdy ficklin stadium in anticipation of the season on september 3rd and as always we will bring in-depth coverage practice reports all sorts of stuff leading into the season opener Uh, and we do it as in-depth as anybody in the market more in-depth injury reports who's practicing where who looks good etc uh, recruiting updates, basketball reports, baseball. I'm going to have a projected lineup out sometime this week after the draft, given how the roster looks, and um, bringing all the content to you guys on Hoist the Colors and everything else. So appreciate you guys asking the questions, giving me plenty to talk about on this hot July afternoon. And we will be back with you later this week with ECU Athletics Director John Gilbert. You've been listening to the Voice the Colors podcast.
It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.